Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Azizi Podcast. It's been a while, friends. It's been a while. It's been around a month, but, you know, it is what it is. This is life. I'm gonna make myself a little bit, a little bit quieter here, but um, I'm happy to be back. Um, you know, trying to balance my, my professional life and my personal hobbies and i'm um, hoping at some point i will reach that golden golden middle where i can balance everything and uh enjoy enjoy my hobbies such as azizi podcast by the way don't forget to subscribe on itunes spotify stitcher and everywhere where you're getting your podcasts i am there for sure and of course i have a youtube channel go to the youtube channel azizi podcast you can see my face there and my guests and other videos as well um, some interviews with uh, with different people. Anyways, my guest today is Fabio Campanella. He's a business owner. He has his own accounting firm. He's a great guy. It's his second time on the show. Um, he actually came into the studio and uh, yeah, we talked face to face for the first time. Um, it's funny because uh, I usually I usually first uh i don't know invite my guests for like a lunch you know like do like a little preliminary interview but this time you know because of covid and everything is basically locked up uh he just you know he just came here right away and you know it was interesting experience where you don't really know a person but right away you invite him and you want to talk so it's like talking with a stranger basically even though we already know each other through the first podcast but only virtually but anyways, you know, I feel like if at the end of the day, I feel like it worked out pretty well. Fabio is uh, is an amazing guy, very smart, very articulate, and um, he has a lot to say. He, he follows sports as well, combat sports. He is um, in, in great shape too, in a great combat shape. <laughs> he meant, he mentioned that he used to, he does, you know, jujitsu and uh, knows some kickboxing and boxing. So that was uh, that was interesting. But overall. You know, talked about Canada, talked about immigration, talked about the United States. Um, overall, a very pleasant conversation. I hope you will enjoy it. I hope you are driving somewhere right now and listening to it in your car or you're on the metro and, you know, just enjoying the sound uh, of uh, of the voice of yours truly. All right, I'm going to shut up. Ladies and gentlemen, Fabio Campanella. Three, two, one. Let's go. Fabio Campanella, the man with the most awesome, buddy. beautiful name that had was the head like was a guest on my podcast. Yeah, 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 man. It's it's funny, like, and not to get into like, you know, backgrounds and all, but mm -hmm. all of a sudden I have so many Italian Canadians on my podcast. Yeah, I have a lot of. Uh, you know, Italian boxers. I think someone else was on it as well. Nick Fantasi was the one. Um, the, the other names are escaping me. But it's it's so cool because I never expected that I will be, you know, talking, you yeah. know, with uh, with the representatives of this community for so, uh, well, you so many times. The amount of immigrants that came to Toronto yeah. area, right? Yeah. From and Italy. If you, like, adjust your microphone so that you're yeah. close to it. But yeah, yeah you're right. The amount. It's got, there's got to be a, almost close to a million. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, that, that's that's the part of the story that I don't know. You know, like what's what was mm -hmm. happening because I kind of know like how it was in the United States, but mm -hmm. it sounds like Canada was sort of on the same on the same page in terms of immigration to like North similar. America. Yeah, yeah, similar. Right. There was a lot of things to build, mm -hmm. a lot of expansion. So mm -hmm. they needed they needed ready hands to work. 
I know. Right. I know. So a lot of Southern Italians. Uh, right. You'll you get mostly Southern Italians here. That's no. so cool. That's like because uh, I, I spent ten years in California, so that mm -hmm. that part of uh, California history was mostly like with uh, Mexican immigrants, with immigrants from China. Yeah. Uh, and then you know later on with uh, uh, with the rest of the population of the world, but. Anyways, just like a quick thought yeah. that I had. Last time we talked to you, I talked to you was when the pandemic just started. That's right. And so no, no, it was over Zoom. Mm -hmm. And now we're here face yeah. to face, which is amazing that at least, you know, the situation is getting a, bit, a little bit under control, even though we're kind of getting towards the second wave. What do you think about the whole situation? What's happening right now? Well, you know, I, I always qualify my opinion on this because I'm not a doctor. Right. I'm not an epidemiologist. Mm -hmm. Um I think I passed grade 10 science. So I think that's the extent of my scientific knowledge, but I don't know. It's, uh, you can, you know, if you follow Twitter, if you, if you follow both sides of the story, mm -hmm. you're getting, um, you know, on one extreme people that, uh, treat this disease as though you're instantaneously going to explode in a pool of blood. Mm -hmm. And then you get the other side that is talking about, you know, a pandemic and sheeple and some sort of, uh, that, that, that this thing is just the flu and mm -hmm. they're covering it up and there's some sort of conspiracy going on. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, with anything, the truth is likely somewhere in the middle mm -hmm. where we, we must have some sort of a bad disease going around. Right. Um, maybe it's not as bad as they, as the media will portray it. Maybe it is. It's tough to know. I know. It, it's it's unclear. And I feel like a lot of it is being also perpetuated by the fact that, you know, we have the United States election cycle. Mm -hmm. And a lot of news sort of comes out of them. And, you know, I feel like we're always sort of looking towards them to see, like, what's happening there. And we never sort of, um, you know, it's like with the lockdown and everything. They were first and then we decided to do the same thing. Right. Um so I wonder if after election, everything is going to be sort of like, okay, now that we are off the whole politi politics thing, right? you know, we can actually do something, I don't know, just relax a little bit and maybe in Canada. Although I have to say, I'm so happy that I'm in Canada and not in the United States right now. Really? Because it really seems like people are more chill here in Toronto, even though we are in lockdown and all of that. But I'm talking to a lot of my friends in Los Angeles and they're all going crazy there. They're all wearing masks on the street and all of that. And it's just like the whole like the situation in the yeah maybe in, in southern cali right but and then yeah. in other parts of the united states like, let's say florida where mm -hmm. i have some friends and mm -hmm. uh family living there i mean to take away their liberty and, <laughs> and force them to wear a mat they're just not going to do it right so it's um there's cultural attitudes that differ in mm -hmm. different places um mm -hmm. i think in canada it's more uh geared towards compliance mm-hmm if I if I would say like more, there's more compliance with the law, probably more compliance with um, the policies mm -hmm. than in some parts of the states. Mm -hmm. And it's very difficult to compare Canada and the states because, you know, what what's the United States is really a collection of a multitude of different cultures right. and a multitude of different uh, modes of reasoning. Mm -hmm. Right? It's not just one country. Like, what's an American? Right. It's yeah, it's funny because the definition of what's an American right now is, is sort of up in the air right. for a lot of reasons. But nonetheless, America is a great country and I love America. I spend a lot of time there. Uh, but it's so funny that I'm here in Canada right now. And I think on October 4th, it was exactly a year since I came here. Okay. 
and uh, I'm, you know, I'm very impressed with this country. I'm not gonna lie. It's, uh, I feel very comfortable here for sure. The only thing that I'm not comfortable with is weather. Yeah, the weather is not point, the best yeah. coming from Cali, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, um, you know, last time we spoke, I think it was around. Actually, I'm curious. I'm gonna look it up right now. I think. What do you think? Last time we spoke, what was what month was this? March, April. Let me check. Somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. Fabio Campanella. When? I think it was the beginning when the, when this whole thing started. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. It was episode fifty-one. Details. I'm good, man. How are you? How do you see the date here? Okay, May fourth. May fourth. So it's only. Ooh. I would say it was around like a little bit more than a month since the whole thing started. Right. And so when we spoke about that, I was mainly asking like you as an as a as a CPA, as mm-hmm. a business owner, as someone who is uh, have like uh, a finger on the local mm-hmm. like uh, pulse of a local economy. You know, we were discussing that, and I was basically asking you what's going to happen uh, in the future and what's what's happening with your business. Right. So, what you told me last time is that a lot of you know service industries are gonna, you know, are, are gonna really feel it. It's gonna they're yeah. gonna suffer about that. And and yeah. you eventually you were right. You know, it it, it really happened. You know, we closed all the businesses and uh, in terms of retail, uh, the restaurants and nightclubs. You know, and they never reopened. And you know, we opened them for a little bit during summer. Yeah. And uh, uh, fall, but now they're closing again. Yeah. Are you like, what's your thoughts right now? Like, how's your assessment changed? Um, well, it hasn't because uh, once again, so if you know a thing or two about the restaurant industry, the nightclub industry, the bar industry, the mm-hmm. entertainment and hospitality industries in general, um, these aren't necessarily the most well capitalized uh, operations. Mm-hmm. They, they have very thin profit margins mm-hmm. for the most part. Uh, they rely on tomorrow's revenues to pay yesterday's bills, right? So it, it's not like um, you know you own a restaurant uh, and you can go and raise capital, like do a round of financing or something like that. Your only choice is really friends and family and the banks. Mm-hmm. And the banks are not going to be very happy to lend uh, a massive revolving line of credit to a restaurant when a restaurant can't open. So, mm-hmm. uh, I, I think they're in, they're in trouble. You're starting to see that they, they have to rely on government funding. Um, but you know, it's complicated. I mean, at this point now I've delegated all of that stuff to my staff cause I just can't keep up with, you know, okay, can I, make an application for this. What is the wage subsidy? You know, uh-huh. the rents, sub- there's too much. So I said, okay, I, I picked a dedicated staff. I said, you're in charge of all of this and then, you know, run it by me when you're helping out a client. So you're talking in terms of clients. Yeah. Okay. And helping them out with that. But what I'm seeing on the ground with my collection of clientele is, um, knowledge workers, lawyers, accountants, um, it consultants, things like that. We all seem to be doing okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we took a bit of a hit, but we're not going to crash and burn. Mm-hmm. Uh, mainly because we can still do what we need to do, and we can do it from home mm-hmm. if we if need be, mm-hmm. right? Uh, you know, let's say my industry, you know, people still need to invest their money. 
people still need to file their tax return. You can't avoid these things. So it's still happening. There's still revenues to be made. Obviously, there's going to be some clients that just simply can't pay because they're closed, right? Let's say you own a banquet hall, uh, a restaurant, a nightclub, a bar, you're in really big trouble, right? You cannot just survive off uh, Uber Eats, let's say, delivery and pickup. You have this, this entire physical bricks and mortar space that needs to be funded, that needs to be carried. And, you know, what's the point of carrying it all if all you're using is the kitchen, mm-hmm. right? Uh, you know, I feel really bad for these people. Um, it's just bad luck. They didn't, they don't deserve this. But on the flip side, I also feel bad for the politicians and the policymakers because they have to weigh and balance, you know, the hits to the economy with protecting the most vulnerable people in, in the population. So they make their assessment based on, uh, you know, recommendations of medical professionals, scientists, so on and so forth. And if they think that sweeping uh, policies, you know, let's shut down the entire GTA is the best thing to do. I, that's a hard, that's a hard job. I don't mm-hmm. envy politicians. Yeah. Do you think it's a question of when or a question of if the service industry, such as bars, restaurants, and, uh, and nightclubs, for example, will be opened? And I'm also talking about entertainment industry in terms of sports. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a for sure a question of when. And the reason that I would bet the house on that is because when it temporarily reopened, there was a flock to it. People want to go out. Oh, yeah. They want to eat dinner out. It's not because of the food. It's not because the food is tasty. Need... They want to be out. Yeah. They want to see. They, they want to spend an evening out. People love to watch sports on TV. But there's something to be said about seeing the individuals play those sports live, mm-hmm. right? So uh, it's I don't think it's a matter of if, it, it's a matter of when mm-hmm. and when we figure this out, if we figure it out, mm-hmm. right? Once again, I'm not a scientist, but, you know, the flu, for example, there could be a multitude of strains of flu and every year they're trying to guess which strain of flu is going to come up to the Northern hemisphere and Mm -hmm. what's the success rate of their vaccination? I don't know, 30, 40, maybe if we had someone that could look it up, who knows, right? Yeah, pull it up. Exactly. (laughs) Um, But it's not perfect. And sometimes it's better than than other times. Do coronaviruses behave like this? I have no clue. Mm -hmm. It might be a one and done, Mm -hmm. right? Or it might be one, it goes dormant, comes back five years from now. I, I don't know. So I don't think it's a matter of um, if, because mm-hmm. we will go back to it. We're a social mm-hmm. species. Mm-hmm. We want to be together, right? This is better than doing it on Absolutely. Zoom. Absolutely. You know what I mean? It's a different kind of energy. Yeah, it's even though I can see of... you on a screen, I, I, I can't read you. There's fine sure. minute details. Mm-hmm. So it's a matter of when. Mm-hmm. And maybe we think of a different way to do it, right? Absolutely. And and another thing that's happening right now in Toronto that I'm seeing is a lot of talk about real estate. And it's sort of unclear what's happening uh, because well, there was like a report that the, the second quarter of the year, mm-hmm. I think, was what usually happens during spring happened in dur- during uh, summer, which everyone absolutely started buying property, property in greater Toronto area, you know, Hamilton and even here in uh, in downtown area. And like, yeah. Uh, a lot of houses were being bought for some reason, and it's being explained by the fact that it's just uh, a lot of people tried to sell them, and a lot of people tried to like take advantage of that. And that usually happens during spring, but because of coronavirus and that hiatus, and uh, and just in general the mood, everyone wanted to do something quickly. They thought that right. the market is tanking, and that's their opportunity. 
that's the real estate in terms of uh, housing. You know, the actual there's like a term for that, but you know, the yeah. house, house, not the condo. On like at the same time, the condo prices are falling as well, and there's a lot right. of inventory on the market, which means a lot of condos right now are empty. And the landlords don't have anyone to uh, rent it to because we don't have any immigration. We completely blocked, you know, the whole... I don't think if it's completely or not, but it's definitely being reduced significantly. Uh, also, you know, immigration in terms of, you know, permanent residency, immigration in terms of, um, I would say also like international students, you know, who come here and try to rent something. So, you know, and no tourists as well. So no Airbnbs as well. And that's why we have all those... Uh, space open basically available hence you know there's no supply so the price goes down right uh, I'm sorry no demand though so the, the price goes down so what how do you see this and what do you see on the ground if you are talking to some people or have you been researching that as well what's happening yeah so I mean we deal with a, just a ton of real estate um, uh, in, ter with the, in terms of our clients the taxation of real estate we help them um, build a real estate like an investment portfolio and what you're seeing now it's a it's a strange it's a strange uh it's very strange okay mm -hmm. you have to look at real estate uh just normal market factors supply and demand mm -hmm. that's one mm -hmm. right but there are other factors as well right people aren't necessarily in north america they're not necessarily looking at real estate as what's the price mm -hmm. of this property Mm -hmm. they're looking at what's the monthly payment right when they buy very few people can the property cash flow basically yeah well can the property cash flow but what when it's when you want to move into the property let's say and you mm -hmm. want to live in the property okay most people that are buying the property are saying what's my monthly carry what's the mortgage what's the oh, condo the fees well. you know what's the maintenance so on and so forth and can i afford that and that's a very north american uh concept mm -hmm. right what's the monthly payment and they're not necessarily thinking about the price because the price has outpaced if you know if you chart it against you know real wages mm -hmm. the price has in the GTA has significantly outpaced wages mm -hmm. right but interest rates have been dropping right and you know the ease of which you can get let's say a 30 year mortgage and you extend the amortization of the mortgage mm -hmm. that's helped out a lot Right. Mm -hmm. So getting the financing to buy a property has been one of the factors that's led to the increase in the pricing, because a lot of a lot of times people will think about it as a monthly payment. Mm -hmm. Right. But now in a situation where the monthly payment becomes an issue for the renter, mm -hmm. I think this is what's happening because people are losing their job or they're afraid and they have this, they're looking forward and they're like, Hey, I might not be, have this job in six months. Mm -hmm. Now a two or, you know, a $2,500 rent per month for a one bedroom condo in Toronto is not looking as attractive, right? So now you're getting a bigger supply right. in the rental space. And that's why I think you're probably seeing a bit of a strange drop in condos in condo prices. Absolutely. I right. mean, we still don't know, like, for example, speaking for on behalf of young professionals, we mm -hmm. still don't know whether it's worth living in downtown if, like, 90% of the time we're working remotely. Yeah. I can easily, like, for example, you know, get a condo somewhere in Hamilton or even, you know, further away, Waterloo or whatever, and, uh, mm -hmm. and pay very, like, much less than I'm paying right now, yeah. uh, but I will be as productive as I am, you know, here. And have a nicer place. Yeah, have a nicer place. Yeah. And because right now, like, okay, so we, it's, it's winter in Toronto. Yeah. It's my second winter here. 
And last weekend, I, you know, went out uh, and just sat on the patio during yeah. after six. And I was like, what the hell? Like, this is, I'm not doing this it's for sure. It's dark and it's freezing. Yeah. It's freezing. And no matter how many heaters you'll put around me, this yeah. is like, I'm not doing this. I'm no. sorry. So, so I'm definitely like, you know, there's no reason to be in downtown Toronto during winter if everything is closed. Yeah, it's not fun. It's so not what's fun. The point? And it's not, yeah. there's nothing useful about it. So, uh, yeah. Like, it makes sense for me, like, as a young professional to at least consider and say, like, huh, does this worth, like, me, like, li- living in, at this area? Right. Um, hence, the prices are falling yeah. right now because I'm not the only one. <laughs> but now, when I look at it as a capitalist, uh-huh. I'm saying, perfect. When we figure this out, people want the young, you know, the younger generation, 20-somethings, 30-somethings, single, no kids, they want to be downtown. Mm-hmm. when the bars reopen when the nightclubs reopen when the restaurants reopen mm-hmm. when everything is back to normal mm-hmm. it's going to be cool to live downtown again right now is my opportunity to scoop up a deal okay sit on it maybe go cash flow negative for a year mm-hmm. right and then boom it goes up in value mm-hmm. the rents go up mm-hmm. right so there's a lot of a lot of factors that play into let's say the toronto condo market it's a very complicated market mm-hmm. right there's rent control that's a factor Right, so that's a ceiling for the amount of rent. That Quick you can, question about that yeah. for rent control, because I know it's on. It doesn't only necessarily uh, restricts you to increase the price, but also restricts you to decre- decrease the price. Mm-hmm. With the with COVID right now, can a landlord decrease the price by more than what's allowed? That you, that would be a better question for a real estate lawyer. I'm okay because for the most part, the the con- the uh, the issue is the increase in the price. Exactly, but right, not, yeah, exactly. Right. So I don't see why logically you wouldn't be able to say, hey, you know what? You can live here for free. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's true. So uh, I'm sure there's always a way to decrease the price, I'm sure. But mm-hmm. maybe, you know, we could do a little bit of research on that for after. Sure. But um, I think the big issue is increasing the price. And if it's capped mm-hmm. at a certain percentage, whatever it is, 2% um, I think per it's year, right? Yeah, right? Something like that. Um, that plays into uh, the issue because now. You sign someone on as a long-term tenant, mm-hmm. then they go, you know, after a year, they go month to month or whatever it is, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but then you can, you're capped at 2% per year. How do you get right. rid of that tenant? Right. So it's going to make these condos maybe even cheaper. Mm-hmm. And then now you're having trouble airbnb them or doing temporary, uh, temporary rentals, mm-hmm. right? So that takes that out of the market. Are, the, right. are, are condo prices going down right now? Not not just rent, but overall, if I want to buy a condo, are they like are they costing less right now? Is this I happening? believe they're down. the The trend is moving down, or at least flat. Whereas um, the trend in other types of properties is uh, is actually up a little bit, which is weird. Yeah, like why is this? Well, then you've got to think of it as well, right? When you're marketing mm-hmm. any service or or product, why is it nice to market to the affluent? Mm-hmm. There's less price. There's less elasticity in mm-hmm. their in their buying, mm-hmm. right? In their in their purchasing power. Mm-hmm. So okay, they're making a million bucks a year, right? They dropped by ten percent. They can still buy Chanel bags, mm-hmm. right? It's because mm-hmm. they're making nine hundred grand a year. Mm-hmm. So what's happening here is, I think you know, I can't go on vacation. I can't go to restaurants. So I'm saving all this money. So now what you're having is people that have houses like freehold homes with a backyard, you can't get, you can't find a pool guy to build a pool anymore Mm -hmm. because they're like, okay, well, I didn't go on vacation and save myself 10 grand there. I didn't go to restaurants. I saved myself five grand, throw in another five, 10 grand. I can make a pool, Mm -hmm. right? Or I can do some work to my house or you know what? 
I can upgrade because mm. I can afford another thousand bucks a month on the mortgage, right? So maybe it's that. Maybe it's people want to move out of the downtown core. And when you move out of the downtown core, you can actually buy something bigger. So a mm-hmm. townhouse or a full house, you know, usually the, the progression is condo to townhouse, townhouse to house, right? So maybe people are making that decision a little quicker because they're like, hey, listen, I got this $800,000, $900,000 one bedroom den in mm-hmm. Toronto. I'm going to get rid of it, go a little bit outside of the city. You know, I throw in an extra hundred grand and I can get a 2000 square foot townhouse, mm-hmm. right? And I'm working from home anyways. And I can't go to restaurants. And so I think people are really thinking about the moment. I don't think people really project forward. They're really stuck in the moment, right? And I think it's been, COVID's been around long enough that this feels like reality now, mm-hmm. right? Wearing masks indoors, not going to restaurants, you know, not doing the fun stuff that we're, not, we're used to doing. Um, I think it's starting to feel like a, like a legitimate reality. And mm-hmm. it may drive people a little bit out of Toronto. At least temporarily. And so for the people, let's say, who are also bullish on the future of Toronto and thinking mm-hmm. that, you know, we're going to go back to uh, uh, to to the way how we were in terms of, you know, going out and entertainment and they want to invest in the town while mm-hmm. it's still kind of on the on the download, downward sloping trend. Um, do you feel like we have already passed the whole, you know, craziness and we're not going to go anywhere low down? There's not going to be another crisis if things are going to be as they are right now. Or are we yeah. like waiting for something like, oh, there's like people, you know, going to be defaulting on their mortgage mortgages at some point once. Because I, I know that like, banks were kind of supporting the whole like yeah. you can postpone paying yeah. and all of that. Are we past that thing? Are they Have they figured that out? I, I honestly don't know. Um, you would have to look at uh, employment trends, mm-hmm. right? Um, the postponement of the mortgage, like if there's, if there's going to be a big cliff, a big crash, what's the government going to do, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Are they going to allow it to crash or are they going to continue to bail out? Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, if you're looking back to, let's say, you know, the Obama era from the, that, the 2008, 2009 financial crisis, Mm -hmm. the trend has been to bail out Mm -hmm. really, Um, which is why, you know, I think that the the governments of the world will conglomerate to bail out the people. Mm-hmm. And what the overall effects of that is going to be, will it make hyperinflation? Will it collapse the economy? Will it Probably create increase bubbles? The tax. Right? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But it's mm-hmm. going to have to be a coordinated effort. And once again, I, I don't envy these politicians. Right. Like, I would not want to be in that position because it's difficult. You can't let people starve. But on the flip side, if you give too much, mm-hmm. are you are you running the risk of, you know, hey, I'm giving these um, 22, 23-year-olds who just got out of, out of school and they can't get a job because they have no experience and nobody's willing to give them a, a chance because of COVID, mm-hmm. but I'm giving them 2000 bucks a month free money mm-hmm. to live at home with their parents. Are you disincentivizing them to work? That's right? the big question. That's the best big question about universal basic income. Yeah, you you could you could be ruining, you know, five, six, seven years of a young person's life, and they worked hard for university. They they did well or whatever it is they got through, and mm-hmm. now they're they have no incentive to right. go out because it's like, hey, I sit back and you know I'm on social media all day for two thousand bucks, or right. I get a crappy job for 
3000 and mm-hmm. net net i'm really only better off 500 bucks a month so mm-hmm. but i got to do something every day so right right i'm hoping that's not the case i'm hoping that people have a drive to work and and progress but you know the economy is based on expansion it's not you know we need to expand in mm-hmm. order to to support this economy so canada needs net immigration we need mm-hmm. net gdp expansion in order to to live the life that we want to live which is a growing you know a growing whatever you want to call it first world economy but it's mm-hmm. a growing one we have plenty of land mm-hmm. we have plenty of um ability to build infrastructure we have you know people generally follow the laws a secure banking system a secure government so we need people to come in and we need people to expand economically right right i just actually listened to i saw the video by the canadian government basically they announced that they will raise the plank for immigration to make it 400,000 permanent residents mm-hmm. in 2021 and around the same in 2022 and that wasn't in comparison to what before i honestly don't know but for yeah. me even the, the, the number of 400,000 people that's yeah it's it's funny cuz I went through the system. I, I uh, ex- applied for a permanent residency as an express entry, and it was I was really impressed by the fact how pretty straightforward it is, mm-hmm. and how it was re- ready on point, like with my skills. Yeah. So overall, like I'm actually, I think it's a very smart idea for Canada because Canada has like less than 50 million people uh, as yeah. a population, and it's yeah. the second biggest country in the world. Right. I think. I don't. Right? We don't even have 40 million people. Oh yeah. Yeah, I think it's in the 30s. Oh wow. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so that's, I mean, that's totally legitimate uh, argument, first of yeah. all, because we have a lot of land, but second of all, the immigration system that the Canada, that Canada has developed is very based on productivity and skills. Right. And, uh, that's very smart. Well, yeah, you want, you want from a, you, from a sovereign perspective, you want people to come in and add. No, but think about right? it. Look, I, I tried to stay, stay in the United States. Yeah. I lived there for, you know, little, like almost 10 years. I went through the undergraduate, mm-hmm. worked, went to the graduate school, worked again. And I was pretty, like, a, like I would say, skilled and educated, like accountant, mm-hmm. MBA, you know, yada, yada, yada. And I went through, like, good employment, and they actually sponsored me and all of mm-hmm. that. But I couldn't go through, I couldn't get the United States permanent, or not even a permanent resident, just a work visa. There's oh, not really? even a system to be a permanent resident. Okay. This doesn't exist. Yeah, you just get a green card, basically. Yeah, but like yeah. it's you can't. There's no yeah. system like that, like express entry here. So it, my only chance was to get an H-1B visa and then extend it, and then based on that, apply for a green card in yeah. six years. And I wasn't selected because of uh, like a lottery, like because there's yeah. like three hundred thousand people apply for the same thing, and they only have like sixty. I might be wrong there, but around sixty thousand spots. Right. And so they're like, okay, well, we'll just do like a random selection, you know, lottery. Yeah. And so I wasn't wasn't selected. And I was like, well. This is it, but that's me, and I'm just no offense, but yeah. I was just a, just an accountant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's the <laughs> but thing. Amazing. It, there's a lot of is it, it computer scientists, exactly. You know, engineers. Yeah. You know, all the biologists, microbiologists, yeah. neuroscientists, and all of that. Those yeah. who went through the PhD program. Canada has an amazing opportunity until the United States wakes up and like, oh shit, we're losing all that talent. Canada can like scoop them all up right now. And honestly, that's the second choice. Like, what do you do? Because I talked to a lot of yeah. people like, well, you just go to Canada. They have a yeah. system. So I don't know. It's pretty smart how they do it. But but that's the thing too, right? I feel, um, I've never gone through the system, but I feel in the, in the US, if they need you, mm-hmm. they're, they're probably going to find a way to get you in. Right. Without, without, you know, without the system. 
Um, but you have to be a superstar though. Yeah, yeah. Like if they need you, if like this is the best, you know, computer programmer yeah. or whatever, this is the best brain surgeon. We're going to get this person in, mm-hmm. right? Um, but do they need all those new immigrants? That's the big thing, right? What's the policy? They, they, they're, what is it? 330, 340 million strong, mm-hmm. right? That, that's mm-hmm. a big economy. That's a lot of people. And, you know, a lot of people that are willing to spend on credit, right? So, and then, you know, the U.S. has influence elsewhere. Coca-Cola is everywhere, right? right? 3M is everywhere. Like, Mm -hmm. Facebook is everywhere. Google's everywhere. So, they have a lot of influence outside of their borders. They have military all over, scattered all over the world, right? Mm -hmm. So, do they need that Mm -hmm. many people, right? You know, you see, like, a lot of people are saying, okay, you know, the new... um, the new regime there, the Trump, the mm-hmm. Trump regime mm-hmm. is, you know, protectionist. They don't want immigrants. And is that, I, I don't know. Is mm-hmm. it um, some sort of a, a, an attitude or is it that they, they don't need the immigrants? What, I know here in Canada, what, what's we your need argument? Them. Like, Cause I'm, it's an interesting thought. Yeah. Um, so let's think about it. Why wouldn't they need immigration? I'm just I actually yeah, curious. Like, yeah. what, what do you think like would be an argument against it? And I'm not talking political yeah. here. I'm not talking like, you know, like, uh, whatever Trump's is arguing, yeah. whatever. I'm just thinking like, let's think about it in business terms. If mm-hmm. we will get, and we're talking skilled immigration right now. Yeah. Let's say there's a same program in mm-hmm. Canada, in America as like Canada has right now. We're yeah. getting all the skilled ones. Basically, if they would accept me. Yeah. <laughs> what's, uh, what's the argument against it though? Well, is that skill required or can that skill, mm-hmm. is there a vacancy for that skill, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, here in Canada, maybe there's vacancies for physicians. I don't know, mm-hmm. perhaps, mm-hmm. right? But if there's, you know, let's say you're very skilled at whatever it is, a woodworker or something like that, right. but we don't have that vacancy, we don't need that skill set, mm-hmm. then from our perspective, why are we going to take that skill set in? Mm-hmm. 30 years from now, we might need it, mm-hmm. right? At the time that my grandparents came to Canada, they were uneducated laborers, right? Manual labor. Manual labor. Mm-hmm. Grade four education, grade five education, maybe. In, mm-hmm. in in Italy, mm-hmm. no lick of English whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And they were allowing them in by, by the boatload. Why? Because we wanted infrastructure. We wanted to build. We wanted to construct. And we needed the manual labor. So at that time, they needed it. So maybe, uh, you know, the, those who are in charge of policy in the United States are looking at it and saying, maybe we don't need mm-hmm. all of this. And it's going to create unnecessary competition mm-hmm. with the people that are already here mm-hmm. or maybe that's just their argument mm-hmm. and there's some sort of other agenda I, I don't know right but from my pure logical perspective the way i look at it is okay i'm i have this country let's say canada or the united states i'm in the united states i have this country we already have a huge population we're already massively wealthy and we have influence from a monetary perspective, from a cultural perspective, from a, you know, finance perspective, every, from every perspective, we have influence all over the world. And we're mm-hmm. getting the cream of the crop of every particular profession or skill set anyways. Mm-hmm. Why do we need to bring in people in the mm-hmm. middle if we don't need it? Let's train them. Mm-hmm. We, it's not like they don't have a, a very you know, extensive training community college and university network. Mm-hmm. They pretty much have the best schools in the world. Right. You know, it's funny. There was a report recently about the United States high schools. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you read that, but less than, and I don't know particular, I don't remember particular numbers, but less than 40%, and I'm talking 20, 20s and 30s percent, yeah. are 
proficient, less than 40%, let's just say less than less than 38%, because mm -hmm. I don't remember for sure, are not, like, are proficient in uh, reading and math, proficient of high school. Yeah. That's like, that's a staggering number. Yeah, and then how do you define proficient, right? I guess they have a definition. Yeah, but yeah. So, so when you look at it, uh, my math skills are probably embarrassingly um, inferior to yours because you were educated uh, primary school where? In, in Kazakhstan. It was a yeah. Soviet uh, system. So you were, yeah. yeah, so you were probably already doing calculus by the time you were four, okay? <laughs> probably so, not. Yeah. <laughs> you're, but, you're giving me too much credit. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> you, you know, your your math skills right. for pure math would, would are going to far exceed mine. So the question is right? whether that's useful at all. And that's the thing right? Is it useful? So yeah. what's proficient? Because I see people that function very well, that they can add, subtract, and do basic multiplication to division, and they get through life, they make money, they feed themselves, they put their kids through university, and, and they're okay. Mm -hmm. So what's what's proficient, and at what point is it overkill? Mm -hmm. You know, I'm an accountant, mm -hmm. I'm an investment advisor, mm -hmm. I don't use calculus ever. Mm -hmm. I don't even know what calculus is, okay? <laughs> I use, That's true. You don't use it in, in that. Why would image. I? Why would I? I'm not. I'm not doing advanced uh, finance. Yeah. Right. I, why would I need calculus? Mm -hmm. um, statistics. Oh, hate it. Yeah. But like, <laughs> other than you know, statistics 101. Uh, there's no other. I just need the concepts. Um, you, know, you know, I, I had my. I remember I had a statistics class. You just reminded me, mm -hmm. and I legit had an anxiety attack before my midterm while I was on the bus. Yeah, going to that, and that was like, I don't know, it was crazy. And I got my C plus in that statistic. I was so happy that. Yeah, I, was I never took a statistics course. <laughs> I, I'm so, I just self taught when uh -huh. I did CFA. Uh, I did CFA level one, like right? Maybe like I don't know, 14 years ago or something. Mm -hmm. Um, just to get, just to do it, and I was like, okay. So I read through the a statistics. Uh, Mm -hmm. you know, 101 textbook. And I'm like, okay, it makes sense. Whatever normal distribution, standard mm -hmm. deviation, mm -hmm. it, it all made sense. But mm -hmm. all I really needed was the concept. I saw it and I'm like, I'm never going to run a multiple regression. Mm -hmm. Like, why would I do that? Uh, just that you know, word already triggers yeah, me. Yeah, like, like an advanced <laughs> portfolio manager would do something like that. For what I do, I don't need right. it. So what's proficient, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, whenever you have these, these labels, you know, not proficient or proficient, you know, living below the poverty line, living above the poverty line. That's an arbitrary definition, mm -hmm. right? So I look around and I go to the United States and I've been, you know, dozens of times. I've never met someone that I, at least that I found out was illiterate. Mm -hmm. I've never met someone that I could rip off with cash, mm -hmm. right? I've never met somebody who can't, you know, find their way around uh you know using the bus uh, the bus system so so the, the argument that you're making is that they're good enough in terms of the general population yeah. to to make sure that they can re-educate themselves like you know how this thing goes like learn to code or whatever mm -hmm. there there is a you know a high chance that you we can use the general population that we have that they have right now yeah and, and transform it into a more let's build uh, adjustable it. towards the new science towards the new way of life in terms of like the new professions basically right and, and that might sound protectionist but i'm just 
throwing an idea around. Like once again, I'm not a policymaker. I'm not a politician. Right. I never want to be one because mm-hmm. I don't want to be the, those people. You know, it's crazy. Right? Me neither. I used to dream of becoming like a governor of California, but after I saw no. what kind of hell you need to go through to become one, no way. No, I. I mean, I. I can't even. I. I don't even. I get a stomachache when I have conflict with one client. Let alone I have a whole constituency of, of an entire population hating my guts. I can't, I can't handle that. Right. But you know, once again, they have to make these decisions based on the population that they represent. And then if they want to keep their job, Mm -hmm. they've got to make sure that at least 51% of that population agrees with them. Mm -hmm. Right. So um, back to your original, um, your original inquiry about, you know, X amount of people are proficient. Mm -hmm. Like I said, I go there, and this is anecdotal. I didn't do a study, but mm-hmm. nobody is illiterate. Mm-hmm. But maybe people are, and maybe I'm not seeing those people. Maybe mm-hmm. in the inner city, I don't go to you know Compton or wherever. Like I, I'm, I'm going to nice places. You know, like right? sa- like there's like you know always the stereotypical like South, you know, hillbilly or whatever. I, I, maybe yeah. maybe they are struggling. I, I, I actually maybe they never, are struggling. I never that, met, that would be horrible. Never met them either. Yeah, so that would be horrible. And if that's the case, it, you know, should society route more resources over to them rather than bringing in mid-level skills from outside and mm-hmm. pushing those people and marginalizing them even more, mm-hmm. right? But will we be able to build those skills up quick enough to compete with the rest of the world? Mm-hmm. And and that's that's the trade-off. There's always a trade-off. I can train internally or hire externally. I right? can totally see your point. Yeah, and it depends like how much it will cost and all. Um, but here's the thing, though. Here's what the Canadian um, government, the argument that they make mm-hmm. is that you know, the immigrants are actually creating jobs. Mm-hmm. And again, I don't think we are debating whether immigration is good or bad. We're debating what is what is the cost benefit, you know, of immigration yeah. and like where can we find the balance. But also, but I'm just wanting to throw that out there that you can make an argument that you know immigration immigrants like for example myself like I'm definitely like I love my job right now and I not and I'm not uh, you know I, I'm just enjoying it and I'm getting a lot of experience from it. Uh, but at the end, like in ten years, let's say. Do I want to do exactly the same thing mm-hmm. or do I want to like have my own thing going on yeah. for me, you know, like, and do I want to like create some something, you know, yeah. the creativity comes in and then I would like, even with this podcast, I just talked to you, yeah. I joked with like, I need another person so that they can like check, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, what's to happening. Expand. Yeah, you want to expand. Exactly. So immigrants creating jobs, yeah. they're creating businesses. So that's, that's like one thing that uh, Canadian government was kind of proposing or like at least arguing yesterday when I was watching that video. Mm-hmm. And another thing is that Canadian um, population is growing older. Yeah. And I think there was like a comparison for every retiree. There were like eight uh, working class people mm-hmm. who are like working, whatever, yeah. employed. But right now it's like for every one person, there's only four. For every one person who is retired, there's only four people who are working. Correct. So we need more people to take care of our older population. Yeah. And then we're, this is where like we need like more skilled people in terms of give, uh, caregivers. Right. So those basically those are the arguments that uh, can be made, and I feel like those arguments can be made even stronger in the United States because the population is so much higher in terms of boomer population who is right. getting older. Is their proportion much higher? I know in Japan it's extremely high. Like the the elderly population is is dangerously high, mm-hmm. right? You know. So, um, and can the economy support that? 
right? Because, yeah. you know, a pension system... You well, know, they always say about, you know, social security collapsing because we have all this boomer population getting older. Right. And, but now with the states, I'm not familiar with the statistics, right? Right. But, you know, do they... Who's going to come in and help them, right? So mm-hmm. let, let's say you take a look at Canada. I'm more familiar with Canada because sure. I live here, right? Immigrants, you know, and maybe I'm biased because I'm the son of of two immigrants, mm-hmm. right? My my mother immigrated um, from Italy by way of Libya in Africa. Interesting. Yeah, after the war, there there they were in, uh, the Italians had uh, colonized there, right? It's crazy what people you know yeah. went through before. It's crazy, you know, generations yeah. before. And then uh, my father from southern Italy, mm-hmm. he came on his own. His his father passed away uh, young in Italy, and he came here and. Uh, he, he actually was, uh, he had just finished university, got an engineering degree. I think it was electrical engineering back mm-hmm. then, but he ended up becoming a CPA and running his own business. Uh, so maybe I'm biased, but I see, um, immigration the way at least we're doing, it seems to be working mm-hmm. and seems to be healthy for our economy and healthy for us mm-hmm. as a, as a population, we're bringing in people from different parts of the world which means that we're getting these cultures and we're understanding, you know, the Middle East, we're understanding uh, Pakistan, India, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the Far East, uh, Europe, we already understand that culture. We have these languages, we can deal with those other cultures from a business perspective, we bring their foods in, all these things that make life worth living, right? right. If we didn't bring in immigrants, we'd all be eating, I don't know, peaches pears apple pie and roast turkey right but i want to <laughs> have very boring <laughs> yeah exactly right no no knock on canadian uh cuisine but i want to ha- i want to try i love indian cuisine i love mm-hmm. thai cuisine i love italian cuisine you know french cuisine i love all these different things and th- these are the things that actually make life worth living mm-hmm. so to bring all these cultures together and we you know see oh hey you get an idea from one culture you merge it with another and boom there you go you get something new right mm-hmm. And I think um, at least I I think immigrants, like first generation immigrants, Mm -hmm. they come to the new country and they're a little scared. It's scary. So the good thing about that is I find a lot of them, and maybe if the statistics will probably back this up, I'd be willing to bet they're net savers rather than net spenders. Right. And there's like, I would argue that there's very low probability that they will take on a credit, you know, on the mortgage. Unnecessarily. I think, I think that they, they are, um, because the banks have programs for this, Mm -hmm. for, for new immigrants, but I think that they will, they're less likely to overextend credit. Mm -hmm. Right. They come here, they bring some money with themselves, they bring some skills and they buy a house. That's the first thing that they usually big purchase that they make. It's I'm going to buy a house. It's Mm -hmm. not put money in the stock market. It's not put money into second mortgages and try to get fancy. They put their money into a home, right? And when you put your money into a home, especially like a new home, that generates work for the economy. It generates skilled labor, architects, lawyers, accountants. Uh, It generates, you know, more blue collar work which mm-hmm. is excellent because mm-hmm. you get paid very well for that in canada mm-hmm. and it's prized uh, in canada trade so on and so forth it gets these houses built it, it you know it causes expansion causes economic s- expansion right so uh the other thing i think if we dub if we double check the data i think they're they have a propensity to start their own businesses start a small business start something new right yeah. and take that that kind of a risk right my father he came to Canada, he worked maybe for a year for someone. And then he's like, forget it. 
started There's his own business. There's definitely like an entrepreneurship spirit, especially yeah. when you're an immigrant and you're coming to the new country. You because you see the world differently when mm -hmm. you are an outsider, and you can see the opportunities. And I'm speaking from a personal experience. You can see how much easier it is. And I think we discussed right. that in our previous podcast. The rules are very set in Canada or in the West yeah. in general in, in comparison to like where I'm from, for example, that there are rules and then there are unspoken rules. And yeah. you have to like make sure that you're abiding by the unspoken rules yeah. and paying the right people and all of that. Yeah. Here it's, I would say more or less, uh, everything is outlined for you and you can, as long as you're following the rules and you have like a good plan. Yeah you have a good shot at, you know, at succeeding. Right. I wouldn't say you succeed 100% of the times, but... Definitely not. You are... You have a good you shot. You have a good shot. Yeah. And that's... In a lot of cases, it's it's enough for people to start, yeah. you know, the trying. Look, I started a, a financial services business from scratch 10 years ago. This is our 10th year. And, you know, it, it's big enough. It's got a nice uh, book of business, but I've never had to pay someone off. I've never had to deal with a corruption you know the, the cra or the the securities regulators have never shaken me down right things for the for the most part work whereas if you go even to europe right apparently things just don't work that well mm -hmm. <laughs> right if you go to greece you go to southern italy you know a lot of times you're gonna have to you know there's you don't pay tax you pay tax right right which is something different um and it's not a knock on the, those economies and i i don't know i'm just hearing anecdotes from other people that have tried to do business there mm -hmm. but i know in south america it's very very much like that mm -hmm. so people i think immigrants come here and they're like hey look i can start a business i don't have to pay anyone off i don't have to know a politician to be able to get this license i just make the application they check me out i pay a small a uh, small fee and mm -hmm. off you go to the races right so i think that 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 when they come in they they really appreciate that whereas you know me being born here often i'll complain about this i'll complain about the bureaucracy i'll complain about the red tape but really i have nothing to complain about mm -hmm. you know i started a business from scratch with no money and it's been able now I, now i have employees now i have clients now i have you know, a physical place that I, that that's great i mean it's amazing so it's like yeah. you can do it and you don't have to be a rocket scientist so th that's the system that i think you know the, works well here right in the states i think you get it as well i think if you want to be successful i i because we do deal with the states we do file u.s tax we we do some consulting on, on the um for people trying to expand into the united states and it's not that hard like get a C corp or an LLC. It's pretty yeah. straightforward. I can get it in within a day. Right. Yeah. It's, I, I've tried it before. Yeah. It, it's, it's not, easy. it's not that hard. And yep. you know, you can get a tax number, file your taxes, do business and it, it's pretty smooth. So and I think that speaks to why the economies of countries like, you know, the UK, Canada, mm -hmm. the United States, Australia, why these economies um, are so powerful mm -hmm. because look, we have these rules. They're pretty straightforward until you get into the tax rules. Those are a little <laughs> a little weird, but they're pretty straightforward and they're immigrant friendly. Right. Right. So I just wanted to, you kind of like gave me this, reminded me of what I was thinking lately because I've only been to Toronto when mm -hmm. I, I came to Canada. I just recently took a trip to like the further I went, probably Hamilton. And then just a couple uh, couple days, a couple weeks ago, I went to Niagara Falls. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's the extent that's of like my geography yeah. of how I've been. 
I want to go to Vancouver and all of that. Canada mm-hmm. is an amazing, like, great country and all of that. But um, we have this, you know, the first thing. Oh, I actually went to Montreal. Sorry. Been mm-hmm. to Montreal. No offense. Quebec. Uh, <laughs> Alberta. I want to, like, know, like, with COVID and all of that, with mm-hmm. all those fast lands of Alberta mm-hmm. and all the and, and other provinces you know in between the coasts mm-hmm. do you think they will benefit economically from the from covid and the fact that um there might be a possibility that maybe in the future we are going to decide that maybe remote work remote work is work is good yeah that because i'm thinking i, I that's have a, a gut feeling one. yeah I, have a gut feeling. I don't know what it is but i have a gut feeling i need to go to alberta and check it out because something is yeah. happening in alberta like it, it might happen in the future to the, the you know places like even ontario let's let's you know quebec everywhere we have so much land yeah we have so much land um and then it's where do the immigrants want to go mm-hmm. they're going to want to go where there's a community for them right mm-hmm. so they're going to want to go to vancouver they're going to want to go to the gta right or whatever you want to call it the golden horseshoe here in southern ontario right um it's tough to go to quebec i love quebec i love montreal it's one of my favorite cities in the world but you have to be bilingual right so you have to be able to speak french to really truly uh flourish there we yeah (laughs) you know i don't speak french Mm -hmm. so i'm gonna get eaten up there from Mm -hmm. a business perspective Mm -hmm. so we file um u.s tax and we consult on u.s tax but we don't touch quebec Mm -hmm. right i'm like i just send it to a buddy over there Mm -hmm. whenever it comes um but on the flip side you know Alberta, like right in the middle of Canada, it's just vast land with very little population. Mm-hmm. So to expand there would really require a government intervention, I believe, mm-hmm. because it would require the building of roads, the building of infrastructure, the building of schools. Do you see what I'm saying? Right. So you, it's, it's you can't just pop it up. Yeah. Whereas if you look, uh, if you take a drive around the GTA, you see that the infrastructure is there. We have the roads going to nowhere right ready to go we have the highways we have you know the the airports everything is ready already set up for expansion so Mm -hmm. i think it's just probably easier to do it in the more populated areas in in ontario Mm -hmm. i think you know the only issue now is is it going to be too expensive for people to to live there are they going to get the quality of life that they want do they want to live in a condo in toronto because you know a, a condo in Toronto, a two-bedroom condo in Toronto for a family of three is going to cost you close to a million dollars to get something nice. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you move north of Toronto, a million dollars will get you a very nice townhouse yeah. with a little backyard, you know? so And that's kind of the sentiment that I'm getting to is that I guess you're right about the infrastructure part. We do need schools there. We do need roads yeah. and if, if the population is, but I mean, maybe it will grow organically. What do you feel like? What's what's Canada goes through right now? What is because I'm new to this country and I'm looking at this from the outside and I'm like I'm realizing all these amazing programs with immigration. And I truly think this is a great program. With like you're getting all the cream of the crop of the population of the world to come mm-hmm. to Canada, and the selling point of Canada is what we just discussed, right? Yep. The the amazing you know the business opportunity and just the culture of like being you know honest and non corrupt and all of that. Uh, I feel like we are. It's like Canada is going through some sort of a weird renaissance, like we're a startup. 
I don't know. Kind of feels like a startup. I don't feel like this country is old. Like there's no oldness. Like I look outside and all like stuff that I'm looking, which actually the same. I just I just took a picture of this thing this morning, so like to put on the background. Yeah, it's a concrete jungle basically. But it's a new one. Like you look at this like 20 or 15 years ago, like I would say 40% of that was not existent as far as I've been told. Yeah, a lot of it was not here. Yeah, so 20 years ago, it's like something happened and all of a sudden just like the money flowed into Canada and now not just the money flowing into Canada but also you know the the skilled uh, population skilled people are coming into Canada and I feel like it's about to go up like for real I don't know in well, the now, next 50 I'll, I'll years also remember there's a flip side to all of this as well and you know it's difficult to get the actual data mm-hmm. but a, a lot of these condos that you see here there's likely a prob- a pretty significant amount of money being laundered, international right. money being laundered. That was the first thought the, when I when I came right. here. I was like, something's not right. Yeah, <laughs> like I, I'm sure I'm sure that you know there's there's quite a bit. So, yeah. um, and it is what it is. You're always going to get that kind of that mm-hmm. kind of situation. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know what the percentage is. Um, it's and we're talking mostly like, as far as I heard, there's like a lot of money from abroad, you know, they're trying yep. to park it in the real estate and yep. Canada sounds like a safe space. Yeah, it's safe. Yeah. Let's pop it in. It generally continues to grow. Yeah. They let immigration immigrants in. So the, 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 the values continue to grow. So even if you, if the values are stagnant and you can buy and sell at the same price, it's still a pretty decent way to launder money. Yeah. Right. So, you know, there's that aspect to it as well. And, you know, will that aspect cause a bubble, an asset bubble in Canada? I don't know. So, you know. But I, I think that's not what I, like, I wasn't implying that look at the buildings, like more buildings equals more success for the country. I was mostly like implying like, because last time we talked about, you know, the startup culture in Canada, yeah. that the, you know, Toronto is becoming the, the north northern Silicon Valley. Like everyone's like, there's like a lot of government incentives for a startup right. and all of that. And, and I, I think, think we are. Like, tangible yeah. kind of thing. I think, um, you know, Canada has always been known as a conservative culture, mm-hmm. right? Um, I didn't know that, but... Yeah, it, it's oh, compared to the United States, uh, conservative fiscally, like... Whereas the United States, they're more willing to uh, invest and take a risk. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they're more conservative religiously right. in the U.S. than they are here in Canada. We're more liberal um, socially. But if you look at, um, you know, Canadian banks, for example, they don't like to take risk, right? Which is probably one of the reasons that they didn't drop their market caps, did not drop so much. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. They had no problems. They were okay. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, they had problems, but they survived quite well. Um, and that there's a trade-off. When you have uh, a fiscal attitude or, or um, a money attitude, an investment attitude that is very conservative, you know, your ride goes up, you know, kind of like this, rather than in the US, they're more willing to make a big bet, right? Mm-hmm. More IPOs, mm-hmm. more stock market, Mm-hmm. more equity type of investments, more private equity, um, you know, private rounds of funding for IT, right? So you're going to get something more like that looks more like this. Volatile, okay. But I think you're going to get in the end a higher a higher result, just in, a more volatile. Yes. Okay. Yeah. But I think that Canada now now that um we can do everything virtually, we're integrating more internationally. Um, 
with other people. I think we're starting to see these opportunities to say, hey, why, why shouldn't we take them? take mm-hmm. advantage of them as well and you get that like with the government they have the shred program or the scientific research experiment right, right. development program which we do a lot of consulting on and uh, it's a very lucrative program if you are doing um you know research it basically and allows you not to pay tax for the first period or well they're refundable tax credits mm-hmm. so if you make expenditures like you hire canadian software developers mm-hmm. and you pay them a couple hundred thousand dollars to develop a brand new software that that you can prove is um, pushing the boundaries you're doing something new you're not just tweaking some old software the government will cut you a check uh, in refundable tax credits mm-hmm. up to 60 percent of what you've paid mm-hmm. that's pretty lucrative that's a good there's a lot of startup companies that are basically surviving on that until they can launch their product, launch their application, mm-hmm. right? So it's a very good program. Um, it's, I, I don't know how many billions it dishes out um, per year, but it, it dishes out quite a bit of money and it's helping out. And you start seeing other things like um, over the last two, three decades, Toronto said, hey, we want to be a, a destination for film and television production. That's also true. And it was nothing before. Mm-hmm. There was nothing. Now it's all over the place. And the government put money into it. They they said, hey, you want a street? Yeah, I'm going to shut the street down and you film and pretend you're in LA or New York, mm-hmm. whatever it is, mm-hmm. right? Um, and now you got a lot of people working, like right. making good money, like companies making good money doing it. But going back to the, um, I just want to hear like, what do you think? Like if we're talking about like bird's eye view in terms of empire, you know, history of Rome. Where is Canada right now? Oh, it's a baby. Right? We've just been released okay, from the let's, British. Let's, let's zoom in a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's say like in the past, like, you know, 100 years then. Look, I think Canada has a just a, a crap ton of p- potential. Mm-hmm. I think we're in the grand scheme of things. If the U.S. is a full-blown independent adult we're probably just a teenager that's exactly what i was thinking yeah you know and that's where i was like i came here and i'm seeing everything from the inside and and as the last time i told you like i've been able to like research a lot of companies and i'm realizing that canada is in a an interesting and beneficial position of mm-hmm. being very close to the united states so yep. we're using them as our clientele yep uh business-wise but at the same time, we have so much land and also natural resources. When Tons, I realized yeah. that we have so much oil and I realized, ah, shit, because I came from Kazakhstan and all yeah. of a sudden I'm like, ah, Canadian currency is kind of tied up to oil as well. Like, yeah. that's kind of sucks. But at the same time, like, hey, like we have the energy resources as well. Yeah. Uh, I'm realizing like that's an interesting country to be in, especially during this period, because especially during coronavirus, because we are figuring out some new stuff. Right. Like last time we talked about like the new... Um, ways of how companies you know the produce companies or service companies can Mm -hmm. change their industries change their services to kind of adjust to coronavirus and we definitely can do that as well i don't know i'm just like thinking out loud here but yeah it's uh look i think there's a lot of opportunity i think you're right Mm -hmm. um obviously there's because we're so rich in natural resources we're going to rape the land of its natural resources and make a profit (laughs) that's just human nature to do that yeah and whatever justification we Mm -hmm. use it doesn't we're going to do that um but the other beautiful thing is that we have the infrastructure we have the education systems we have the healthcare systems to allow the thinkers Mm -hmm. um to have some creativity 
and think of other ways to make money, other ways to build the economy, other ways to build the culture, mm-hmm. right? So I think it's a good country. Um, we just probably just need more people, <laughs> right? Right. Right. That I think that's the big thing. We mm-hmm. need we need the people, and you know, it's going to be bringing in good quality, uh, good quality immigration. And what I mean by good quality is not that some people are worse than other people. What I mean by good quality is bringing in the people that we need to grow the to grow ourselves. And that's why I'm very impressed by the system that they have here in terms of like getting the people that we need because it's really based on your skill. You like yeah. I literally have an assigned code for my profession, and you have to right. like apply it based on that code. But a harsh segue here. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk sports for a second. Oh, okay, huh. we, we're going, like, going to do a complete one eighty now. Yeah, because yeah. I was like, you know, it's it's not a sports podcast, and I never claimed it to be. And I actually like go above and beyond to say it's not a boxing podcast. But <laughs> at the same time, you know, yeah. I, it's funny because we follow each other on Twitter, and I see yeah. that you're you know kind of like following the same things in terms of boxing. Um, I wanted to ask your opinion, basically, what do you think about Lomachenko Lopez fight, and uh, were you expecting that win or not? Well, like I told you in, uh, I think it was a text message, um, I I wasn't very familiar with Lopez. Uh I mean, I okay, so full disclosure, I've done some kickboxing. I've fooled around in boxing gyms in my 20s, um, but it's hard for me to pick pick someone out. Mm -hmm. Um, It's hard for me to watch someone fight, watch someone else fight who've never fought each other Mm -hmm. and say, hey, yeah, this guy's going to beat this guy. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult. I can do that with MMA, but I can't. I can't do it with uh, boxing. Mm-hmm. Um, Loma, like he's just incredible. Uh, he's just incredible movement. His footwork is is incredible. His ability to manage distance is, is you know second to none. And the thing that I love about him is he attacks. Mm-hmm. Right? You know, you got a guy like Mayweather, excellent distance management. Uh, he's just an incredible boxer. Um, but he's not looking to attack. He's looking to win the fight, mm-hmm. right? Loma is like, Loma Checo, he's, he's looking to win the fight, but he's looking to win convincingly. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing I think about Loma Checo is, you know, you got a 33-year-old versus a 23-year-old. Um, we get to that fight. When mm-hmm. I watched that fight, I saw, okay, round one, yeah, he kind of didn't really attack, mm-hmm. right? Um, it was weird, though. Like, Loma took some time to freaking do something. Which I mean, is fine. For, for you have your 12 rounds, right? So you got the time, Mm -hmm. you got the time, figure it out, right? It's a 33 year old versus a 23 year old, right? There's a, there's a 10 year age gap. So the 23 Mm -hmm. year old is just naturally going to have more energy. Mm -hmm. So you don't want to blow all your energy at the beginning because maybe you'll hurt the guy, but if he, if he can recover, you're, you're, you're in big trouble, uh, down the road. Yeah. So I wasn't opposed. I'm never opposed to a fighter Mm -hmm. having a feeling out period at the beginning, Mm -hmm. right? You want to see you know, you throw some feints, see how, how your opponent reacts, um, maybe get hit, mm-hmm. see how hard they actually hit. Cause it's hard to judge when you're just watching tape. It was right? weird because yeah, Loma definitely jumped up several weight classes and he was wary about, you know, Lopez's power, power. Exactly. He's got knockout hands. Right. But what I am weary of is when you take five rounds to, to, figure and your he opponent took out. around six or seven yeah. to be honest like to actually really yeah. get into it which means that you know by round six you need to re- win every single round to win the fight mm-hmm. convincingly that's a big bet that's a big bet and um you know not that I, i'm not a 
I, I don't know how to score. I don't know what the criteria is, but mentally I had the fight. Uh, I had Lopez winning by one round mm-hmm. because he took the 12th round. And I felt that if Loma had won the 12th round, um, he could have won or it could have been a draw. Right. And I wouldn't have been, um, I wouldn't have been disappointed if it was a draw. I would have said that's a good decision mm-hmm. if, if he won round 12. Mm-hmm. But I think he lost round, you know, he clearly lost the, the final round. Mm-hmm. The scores were ridiculous like that when, what's her name? Uh, yeah, the Julie Letterman was very... That was a, that was a strange she, way she, to score it, but... Yeah, that was like, it's pretty a lot of conversation about that. Yeah. But it definitely was a weird score and yeah. But I think that with uh, Lomachenko, maybe, listen... 400 fights. I know mm-hmm. they were amateur fights, but it's still 400 fights, mm-hmm. two Olympic games. Maybe he's burnt out. Right. You know, he really like probably, you know, I'm assuming that the reason he went to the second Olympics and continued as an amateur was because he was getting money. He was, he was being paid well and compensated well for what he was doing. Mm-hmm. So why go pro? Mm-hmm. Why take those big, 12 round fights get hurt deal with these promoter promotions and whatnot if you're making money i'm sure that's what happened mm-hmm. but 400 fights is a lot of fights even even at the amateur level and so that basically you know definitely affects he burnt his out? stamina yeah, yeah is he burnt out does he not want to do this anymore so yeah so there's definitely that aspect and also like there's a lot of talk right now about his shoulder injury and that he went into I heard the about fight that. with the with the injured shoulder which is I don't know. Uh, to be honest with you, I, I was rooting for Lomachenko. He was my guy. Yeah. Uh, he is my guy still, and I really respect him. And, uh, you know, he's an amazing fighter. But I also want to make sure that Lopez gets enough credit because he, he beat was, him, yeah. He beat him he beat fair him. and square, yeah. in my view. And 23. At 23 years old, definitely like less than 20 fights. And uh, he was very confident. He went to this fight, you know, knowing what he's doing. Uh, very athletic, you know, huge time, and I know, but. At the end of the day, you know, Lopez definitely deserves respect because he yeah. beat him fair and square, and there's no doubt about that in my mind. It was a good fight. It was a good fight. It was strange that it took that long for Lopez. It was to pick unexpected. Up. Not, we was did unexpected. not expect it. Yeah, I did yeah. not expect I expected maybe three rounds feeling him out, mm-hmm. and then he starts doing his thing, like disappearing, appearing behind you, and, you know. Yeah, he was, I don't know, he was like being all dodgy, you know, from the yeah. very beginning, but it was like. I don't know. I I hate to do these excuses, you know, with injuries and all of that. But maybe it was a factor of that, that he was, like, just trying to make yeah. sure, like, you know, he doesn't, like, expand his shoulder very quickly. Which one was it, his left? Uh, his right shoulder. Okay. Yeah. Um, because I, you know, watching his fa- father, as a, a trainer, you know, being very calm about this, it sort of seemed like they were expecting that. His corner was expecting yeah. it to be such a fight. Yeah, um, and it was an important fight, right? Yeah, it's. De- I mean, it's definitely it's a defining fight for Lomachenko because now all questions. Well, there's a factor first of all, what to do with his shoulder? He did all the surgeries. How is gonna heal? What's gonna happen next? And uh, is it gonna be the same? Is, is it gonna, gonna be the, the same? How many yeah. more fights does he have in them? Does he have at least five fights in him? What's he gonna do? Will he stay the same weight class? Because you could see, even um, visually, he, Lomachenko is a small guy. Yeah, he was way tiny. above his. Yeah. yeah, but he was he dared like that. He did what he had to do to be yeah. to try to that to prove that he's really that great. And I, th- I still think he is. But now, like the question is, should he try? Maybe there's a rematch. 
honestly, I'd watch the rematch. If if the shoulder is gonna be like a thing, we're like, well, couldn't perform because of the shoulder, but but well, yeah, they got a fine. story. Yeah, let's uh, okay, let's watch again. Yeah. you know, and if you know whatever happens, happens. But also, he can go down to this his, his weight and dominate there, make some money. But there. does he have any attractive opponents? In the lower weight classes. See, that's that's the question. I mean, that's uh, well, we have to see. About this could that. be a big money fight. The rematch. Mm-hmm. Ah, mm-hmm. my shoulder hurt. Mm-hmm. I was being cautious. Blah blah blah. You know, but I think the the good part is that they have the same promoter, uh, Bob Arum, top rank, and mm-hmm. so they will. You know, if the money is there, I think there shouldn't be a problem, yeah. no matter what Lopez says, because Lopez doesn't want to do a rematch. He's like, I beat him. Like, I don't need to do any anything else. Yeah. And as far as I'm hearing, Lopez. He'll probably gonna be. He'll defend his title maybe one more time. We'll see against whom. He'll go up, and he'll, then he'll go up because he yeah. has some weight he's issues. He's a big guy. Yeah. Yeah, he has he's some weight guy. issues. As Boxers well. don't like to cut weight. No one likes. Yeah. <laughs> MMA no, they guys cut a ton of weight. Speaking of yeah. cutting weight in MMA, what do you think about that last Khabib fight? I mean, it was definitely a dominant win and all of that. But what do you think about his career in general? Where, where's so, it gonna go? Habib, I mean, he's incredible MMA fighter. So I was remember I was texting you about um, if you know anything about jujitsu or, mm. or grappling he, with which, him, it's which more I, sambo. Which I don't, but yeah. I want to. Yeah. The technique he pulled off, the the, the mounted triangle. I heard it's almost impossible to do in a real fight. I mean, you could get it if you're completely dominating your opponent. Mm-hmm. So number one, to get a full mount the way he did in a, such a dominant position against. Um, uh, yeah, I think I think uh, an All American uh, wrestler. Wrestler, yeah. He, he's he's a very good wrestler. Justin Gaethje, top yeah. top notch, like you know, top notch wrestler before you get to the Olympic level, mm-hmm. right? Um, to get that position and to just dominate that position is incredible, and then to literally it premeditate and plan that that submission, a triangle, such a tight, perfectly executed triangle like that. I mean. Uh, Gagey, he tapped. The ref didn't even see it and then just passed out. Mm-hmm. And um, the as the legend goes, uh, DC Daniel Cormier, he said, who's... Um, uh, he was commentating on that fight. Yeah, right? he was commentating, but he's also uh, at AKA, American Kickboxing Academy. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the coaches who coaches uh, Khabib. Mm-hmm. Okay, he said that because Khabib knew that Justin's parents were going to be in the stands, he wanted to triangle or choke him rather than go for an arm bar or something that he could hurt. Mm-hmm. He could hurt him because he felt that Justin wouldn't tap and he would have to break his arm or something like that. So mm-hmm. as legend goes, right. he had this idea from the beginning. And I mean, it's not, you know, it's not a complete farce because his last, his last two uh, wins were by uh, choke. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. but he's, he's above and beyond the whole division. And I, I argue that the 155 division is, probably the most usually traditionally that in the 170 division are the most stacked divisions mm-hmm. um the reason being is that the smaller athletes who are super athletic will get into wrestling and and kickboxing and and mma because they're too small to get into american sports like you want to get into the nhl the major league baseball right, you course. need to be a tank mm-hmm. right so in the heavier weight classes i don't i don't think you get the best pick of athletes Mm-hmm. Whereas in the lower weight classes, what else are they going to do? That's actually right. Good. That's an interesting thought. That's and it, that's it's totally make, it totally makes sense. Right yeah, to yeah, me, yeah. it makes sense. Whether it's true or not, I don't know. But I don't mm-hmm. want. It's not anything against the heavyweights. These guys are way better athletes than I'll ever be. But um, I think that for him to dominate like that, my only gripe is he's just hit his peak. 
cool. Uh, Khabib. Khabib. Mm-hmm. He's just hit his peak. Um, why not get a couple more? Uh, you know, he doesn't need to. You do if you don't want to. If you don't want to do it anymore, you shouldn't do it because it's violent and you can get hurt, right? But why not get a couple more? Fight Ferguson. Fight Connor again. Make some money. Make some money. See, that's the thing. Like when he made his speech that he's retiring and his father passed away, and it, he, it sounded so sincere. And I totally like. Mm-hmm. It's funny in English and in Russian. I was like, "Damn, it's." I'm, I was like very touched by his yeah, yeah. speech. Like, if you like, if parents are alive, you have to, you know, like spend some time with them. You never. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, "Damn!" Like, yeah, he's always I, in I wanna, training. I wanna, yeah. Like, I want to go back to Kazakhstan yeah, yeah. and just spend some time with my family because, like, I they're felt, not there forever. Yeah, I felt his pain. Like, I definitely like you could see how huge that win for him was. And then he says, "I'm gonna retire," and I was like, "Wow! Like, this is beautiful. Like, okay, like, good for you, man. Like." Yeah. Uh, spend some time spend time with your family like dedicate to whatever training open the gym but at the same time it's like 29 and no Mayweather retired 49 and no and mm-hmm. then he made so much money on his 50th win against McGregor yeah I was like there's a lot of marketing possibility to like who's gonna be uh, Khabib's yeah uh, 30, 30 no. no and I don't know like if it's gonna be McGregor he definitely doesn't like McGregor even though McGregor right now on Twitter and publicly he's expressing a lot of respect for Khabib Probably, you yeah. know, for whatever reasons. I don't know, personal or commercial. Um, I don't know. Do you think he's going to come back or not? Like, what's... Uh... I think he's too young and uninjured. Possibly uninjured. I don't know. But he doesn't mm-hmm. seem to be injured. He's too young and uninjured mm-hmm. to, to retire. Mm-hmm. I think there's good money to be made. Um, Absolutely. Everybody's got a price and and everybody gets bored. Especially fighters. Yeah. Especially everybody gets bored. Famous fighters yeah. that could be successful fighters. Because, and and yeah. I think that um, this was this fight was trending to be the biggest pay-per-view buy in UFC history and it flopped. It did only about six hundred fifty thousand. Because originally Khabib was, uh, it's funny I haven't heard that number. So sixty thousand, six hundred thousand plus. Yeah. Okay. That's, yeah, it's, that's uh, the number that uh, the estimated number, and they were trending. Dana was saying they were trending for two point five mil. It's because Gagey wasn't the, the right opponent. He was supposed to fight I, that yeah. Ferguson dude, I think. I think I think Gagey was. I was super excited about the fight, but mm-hmm. come fight day. One of my friends texts me at around two o'clock. Hey, are you watching the fight? So what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. I didn't know that they were starting midday, oh, okay. Eastern Standard Time. Fights are a nighttime thing. So in our area... Because they were in, in Abu Dhabi. Dhabi. Yeah. Exactly. They were in Abu Dhabi. And Saturday at 2 o'clock, I w- it was weird. I was watching the fights with my daughters there. And you know, yeah. I'm, it's, not, it's light outside. And I'm watching Khabib fight Justin. It was weird, mm-hmm. right? So a diehard like me... Is gonna watch it, but you know, even like uh, what's his name, Dwayne Johnson, the the Rock, yeah. he even tweeted, "Shit, I forgot about the fights at two <laughs> o'clock, but I, I'm training and I have to, tr- yeah, I gotta work out, right? So yeah, yeah. I'm gonna look at it on Twitter instead." And I think that happened a lot. Like, no mm. one's going to a bar or mm-hmm. a restaurant that's also true. to watch to watch these things. A because of COVID, yeah. and B because you're not gonna go to a bar to watch the fights at two o'clock. Interesting why they did it at afternoon though. Maybe it's for TV. Like, what would the time be in Russia? In, yeah, well, I mean, there's many like, time zones in Russia, but but commercially speaking, it doesn't make sense, as you said. Yeah, know, unless so. they got a really good TV deal back uh, back uh, in, in Europe, and you know, because TV you make money too. So or maybe like the the Abu Dhabi people, you know, they they paid enough money to say, hey, like we're gonna do it now, break yeah. the price, just like we want our population yeah. to like see it. So I, I don't know. What I think is this: I think if I were able to match make, 
mm-hmm. I would say set up um, if Connor wins mm-hmm. um, against uh, Dustin. He's going to fight uh, Dustin Poirier. When is he fighting? Uh, this should be, I don't know when, I don't even know if it's been inked yet, but they mm-hmm. were talking about doing it at 170, which is a lazy move in my opinion. Just cut the damn weight to 155. Mm-hmm. But if he wins, you know, get an interim title going mm-hmm. some get get a new do some sort of a tournament style to mm-hmm. get a new champion mm-hmm. then have Khabib come back and say you know what i'm bored come back win the title mm-hmm. then do a super fight against 40 year old uh george st pierre mm-hmm. at a catch weight mm-hmm. not for the title right what would be the weight i would say maybe 160 that's a good one because i was gonna say if Khabib's gonna come back later he's gonna wait for too long it's the weight cutting would be a huge issue for yeah. him because it already is a huge issue for him yeah but i think you should do another 155 win the title back make mm-hmm. you know sell one or two million pay-per-views and then fight uh gsp mm-hmm. at a catch weight so there's no title right right because you know gsp is going to come if he wins he's not going to fight again right. and make a huge payday there right mm-hmm. so make two very good paydays walk off into the sunset he can say you know what you know i'm i'm the best ever Blah blah blah, because now you have um, John Jones at light heavyweight, who's contesting that you know, no, I'm the best, I'm the best ever, I'm the goat, whatever you want to say, like pound for pound, yeah, pound for pound, right? Because I, thirteen title defenses or whatever it is that he's done, and yeah, you know, he has an argument, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think that uh, could be, I think he's got more fight in him if he's mentally there and i think a lot of it's going to be like his mother's blessing you know he, he like, like yeah he, it's fresh now his pops died it's fresh right but yeah. you you know his dad like would he want him to stop fighting i don't know i don't know i, I don't know them. yeah I, right? I strongly believe it's not that's not it for khabib and yeah you know and i feel like his family will encourage him as well to do that like it's and i i don't know you or maybe know. he's happy maybe he said he doesn't care maybe he's happy just with yeah. what he has, he's a millionaire. Like, what does mm-hmm. he care, right? Mm-hmm. If he's sick of being in the U.S. That's and he the wants to go home. of the fighter, though. Like, that's yeah. the mentality of the fighter. Like, it's, I don't know. He wouldn't get fat and just do nothing or be like the trainer at the right. gym. Prince Nassim, wouldn't... buddy. Exactly. He's like 400 pounds, isn't exactly. he, or something? Fuck, what the guy that was, Nassim Khamed. He was oh amazing. <laughs> like, but he quit at the right moment. Yeah. Like, he was so confident, and then, like, he just got sparked. Uh, so good for him, anyways. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's... Uh, or you want to go back to the glory? You know what I mean? Like, it's, yeah. So I think I, I, I think we're gonna see Khabib in the next twenty four months. Yeah, and if he comes back early enough, he'll just continue ripping ripping guys apart. He's she's that good. Yeah. You could just see the strength, like the physical. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's not just the strength. Like if you watch him slow, like if you slow it down, his arms and legs have they're like he's like a freaking octopus. They have independent minds, and he's mm. locking you up with his legs. Mm-hmm. You don't even realize it. Interesting. It, okay. It's just he, he's his he's his brain. He's able to control your upper body with his hands, mm-hmm. but while you're paying attention to this beast controlling your upper body, he's locking you with his legs and sweeping you under, and you can't move. It's like it's like a, you're just being drowned. It's, mm-hmm. it's ridiculous, and it's a if you've ever like grappled, you would know that feeling when you got a guy who just makes you feel like you're drowning it's like a boa constrictor it's just every time you move you're wasting energy and he's not you know it's amazing then you throw in punches forget it it's amazing yeah and definitely he's gonna be studied for, for a lot of years ahead yeah. uh, fabio it was a great pleasure speaking to you yeah man uh, definitely great time good times 
touched on about a lot of subjects and I hope we can do this again. Yeah. But I appreciate you, you know, coming down to the studio, aka my condo that I'm overpaying for. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got to get that down, buddy. Exactly. Yeah. I need to work on that. But anyways, thanks so much and I really appreciate you being here. Thanks, dude. All Anytime. Right.